Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time of Advent. Um, I thank you for this opportunity to study your word and to look forward um, to your return. And Lord, I ask in this time um, that we might learn something of you um, uh, and something of Matthew's witness to you, and that through that we might come to a deeper knowledge of your truth and of your love for us that we see in the work of your Son, Jesus Christ. We ask all these things in the power of your Spirit. Amen. Well, um, I noticed that, that the title of this class is um, Christ's Family Tree According to Matthew. And I had decided to team teach, or you know, not to team teach, but to do, we were going to do two units in a series, um, Adam Young and I, the other curate. Um, and I said, well, let's do the genealogies. And he wisely told me that we're going to call it the family tree because genealogies put people to sleep. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I, I'm just letting you know that you've been, you know, um, you've been manipulated to get you here. Um, but, <laughs> you know, but uh, I actually, I, it took me a long time to appreciate uh, the genealogies of the Bible. And, and actually, in a funny way, I, don't th- I think the, the, um, what made that, what helped me do that most was, was probably uh, like um, the catology chapters in Moby Dick. Have any, how many of you read Moby Dick? Moby Dick? Yeah. Um, they have all the, the, Melville breaks up that book with these long passages all about whales and what they're like and all this science of whales. And a lot of people... Uh, you know, skip that section. <laughs> um, but what's interesting about it is it, I mean, it, the way it breaks up the story and the way it, um, it kind of brings in some of the monotony. But then also what's interesting is that Melville makes up a lot of that. And there's something in the way in which he, um, in, in which he sort of fancifully imagines the, um, the science of whales uh, that end up, if you're attentive to it, telling you something about um, what's going on in that great novel. So I bring this up because uh, the genealogy that we find in the Gospel of Matthew um, is, a, uh, is, is somewhat similar in the sense that if we pay attention to it, there's actually something that we learn that, that Matthew is setting the scene um, in, a, in a special way for us. Um, so that we can appreciate certain things about who Jesus is. So the first thing we might look at is is the passage itself. So if you turn to the first verse of Matthew's Gospel, so this is the the first verse in the whole New Testament. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So the gospel writers uh, and the New Testament are not ashamed of the word genealogy. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> in fact, it's the, you know, right at the very beginning of, of the New Testament, we hear this genealogy. And before we go through, I'm going to look at verses 1 through 17 with, with you all. Um, and, but before we do that, I think it's, it's worth just looking at this one verse. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, 
the son of David, the son of Abraham. The first thing we notice is that um, it's working backwards, right? The genealogy of Jesus Christ, usually a genealogy, if you, um, you know, you'll work from the start, the beginning. That's the logical place to begin. But here we start with Jesus, and then we have David, and then we have Abraham. And if we look, uh, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll punish, punish myself by reading the remainder, just so that we have it all, all out here. Or, and I won't ask someone else to do it because that would be, you'll see why. So, second verse. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amadimidbab, and Anadimidabad, I, I, I went, it went dyslexic there, but anyhow, the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam, the father of Abjah, and Abjah, the father of Aspha, and Aspha, the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram, and Joram, the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah, the father of Jotham, and Jotham, the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh, the father of Amos, and Amos, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Sheatil, and Sheatil the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abuid, and Abuid the father of Elakim, and Elakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Akim, and Akim the father of Eliud, and Eliud the father of Eliezer, and Eliezer the father of Matan, and Matan the father of Jacob and Jacob the father of Joseph and the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. Now, um, so I I have no shame in the fact that I mispronounced some of those names. Um, And... uh, and, and the reason I do that is because actually Matthew in his gospel, uh, there, there are times when if you look back, he, uh, he gets some names a little differently from what's evident from the scriptures. He just spells them differently. So I figure if Matthew can spell them differently and, and kind of change the pronunciations, I can just read what it says on the page and I'll be all right. I'm in good company, right? So, um, but one of the first things we notice is that there are a lot, and maybe we don't, depending upon how much time we spent with the, the first and second books of Kings, there are a lot of kings in here, actually, but there's only one who's named the king. Jesse, the father of David, the king. So in the sixth verse, we see that David is mentioned as a king, and in the 16th verse, um, we hear that Jesus is called the Christ, that he's anointed in the way 
like a king is anointed. That's part of. I mean, they still do this in 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 in, in Great Britain when when the the queen is anointed. It's part of the of the coronation ceremony. So this title is highlighted in two places. And so I think if we look back to the first verse, which we're just looking at, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the king, the son of Abraham. Now, Abraham, uh, story of Abraham, uh, who, who's Abraham's son? Quick, quick question, and I, I feel good about it. Isaac, right, because it's right there in the second verse. So I, I like to ask questions that can make, build us up and feel good about ourselves a little bit. He's the father of Isaac. And what happened? Have the famous story of, of Abraham and Isaac. And Abraham takes Isaac up the mountain to sacrifice him because he believes this is what God is calling him to do because God has asked him to do this. And that's a fascinating and powerful story from Scripture about a father ready to sacrifice his son. And here we have at the very beginning, if we know these stories, we have the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, a king, the son of Abraham, a man who was prepared to sacrifice his own son. It's so easy just to pass over this genealogy and think, oh, genealogy, whatever, that was important to Jews back then, and it's not relevant to me. But here we see framing in the very beginning, the first verse of the New Testament. Telling G- Matthew telling the story of what, is it, what God is at work in, in Christ. A king who's sacrificed by a father. And it's all there. And it's all there in a way that not only is expressed like, this is the story, guys. You know that Jesus died and was raised because usually by the time you're reading the Gospel of Matthew, someone's told you about their relationship with, with the Lord. You so, we always read the Gospels with a knowledge of how it ends. You know? I mean, I, don't, I haven't met anyone who's been surprised you know, to find out that Jesus was crucified. That's like what you start with. But here we see that framed in a way that reaches back into the, into the Old Testament scriptures that tells us about David, and that that story is going to be relevant for understanding Jesus, and it points us all the way back to Abraham, and that that story is a prefiguring of what is going on um, with talk, Jesus. They haven't even been taught, you know, throughout the generations that Jesus is not the son of, of Joseph, but the son of God, through a virgin. Right, right. Well, and this is interesting because what we see right at the at the end, and you're very very right to point this out, Frank, on the 16th verse. Um, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. Now, this is a genealogy of Joseph, right. and it's a genealogy of adoption. And if you think about how our salvation works. What does the beginning of the prologue of John's gospel, which was, is actually a much more natural prologue for us because we don't generally think in these quite so Jewish terms as in Matthew's gospel, um, but if we learn to think in them, I think we see something. In the beginning of John's gospel, we hear that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. And um, if we go all the way down here to uh, 1 John 12, um, 
He came, well, I'll start at 11. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but by God. And so our faith, the, 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 the faith that God gives us, that's alive in us, makes us children by adoption. And similarly, there's a parallel here with Jesus' own life. That what we, when, when we stand before God at, at Judgment Day, um, it's not, I mean, we certainly pray that it's not our righteousness that will be on trial, but that God will look at us and see Christ's work um, and that, we, and that, it, and, and that it's, it's through our adoption um, because of what Christ has done for us that we're able to stand before God at all. So there's this figure also right here in the beginning in this genealogy of adoption. And I think it's important too because if we look at all these, um, uh, and we can, we can move on now to, to, to the different, uh, you know, uh, the, the different sections of this genealogy. And, and Matthew is very intentional about telling us that there's three different sections here. Um, but that this is not... The very fact that we read this and think, well, this is bizarre. This is from Joseph. Um, it shows us that this genealogy is not functioning in the way that we think of genealogy functioning in, in our world, where we're very biologically driven and everything. It's, a, it's about, I mean, and, and actually a fair deal of scholarship has been done on this, that genealogies are often about um, a certain form, a, a certain practice of, uh, or um, you know, being in a certain line. So we can think of a genealogy, like we could talk about the genealogy of presidents in a way, right? Like the presidents of the country, because they have, they have a certain role. Now, obviously, there's a, a, a genetic genealogy at work here. Um, but the emphasis is not on the genetics. The emphasis is on who are these people? And I think this is a clue that Matthew puts in here for the reader, that he, he bothers to tell us about Jesus' genealogy as through Joseph. <laughs> Why? You know? and, and, and the fact that he tells us this is Joseph's genealogy at the end. He's not trying to hide from us this fact. He's, it's, it's making us think about, well, God relating to, to adopted sons and daughters, right? Just as we relate to God, as, as you know, we, ha- we bear God's image biologically, but the relationship we have comes through the adoption that he offers us through faith. And so this genealogy clues us into that. And what it also does is it, um, it, 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 the very fact that it's a Joseph genealogy, I think, is, is, is a way of, of pointing, it should make us think, whether, whether there's intention there or not in the part of the writer, I mean, that's, that brings up all sorts of questions we don't that I don't think would behoove us right now with what we've got to get through to, to think about. Um, but because it's Joseph's genealogy, the question is, well, who are these people and what are their stories? And, and when we start looking at their stories, that's when I think that this genealogy really begins to speak. So Matthew divides this into three uh, important or three distinct divisions. We have from Abraham to David, Right? 
And then we have from David to the deportation into Babylon, the Babylonian exile. And then we have the Babylonian exile all the way to Jesus the Christ. So there are three distinct sections. And Matthew has 14 generations in each. We can get to some of the details of that, which I think will also shed light on, on some of the kind of, of what's going on here with this genealogy, of what God is speaking to us through it, not as some sort of you know, medical chart so that we can figure out whether Jesus has predispositions to certain genetically inheritable diseases, but rather as part of a story that locates him and us by adoption in a story of God's um, work uh, through his chosen people and then through his son, Jesus Christ. So Abraham was the father of Isaac. Abraham prepared to sacrifice Isaac. And I think that, you know, it drives me a little crazy. Uh, I love the Gospel of Matthew. I I used to play in seminary this game like Desert Island Gospels. You know, if you had to choose one gospel that you could take with you, which would it be? And I think people thought I was just being a contrarian because I always said I wanted to take Matthew. And I love Matthew. But so often I think we think that because Matthew is, has a Jewish attitude that we associate, well, Matthew's sort of like, and I heard this from people, trust me, that Matthew was the gospel for scribes and Pharisees. And if you love this gospel, then it was like you probably were a little too high on the law and you should back off and wouldn't it be nice if we could convince McCarthy to like Luke? But maybe we could settle for John. He'd probably, it's probably some stuff in there. But um, that, I think, is a silly attitude. It's actually a very sad attitude that that speaks to Western history in a way. And I've gone on a tangent here, but I'm going to plow forward. Um, (laughs) So that's just the nature of these glasses. Um, But uh, that, that, that we think, oh, that we in our minds think Jews and we think, Pharisees and Sadducees. And that's just not true. That Judaism is so much bigger than Pharisees and Sadducees. And when we, when we start talking about Judaizing, we actually start entering into, particularly in the 19th century, a very dangerous tradition that really takes the law-gospel paradigm of Luther and abuses it. And, it's, and it plays a role in the Shoah. It plays a role in how um, Christians turn against, Chris, uh, against Jews um, and how sort of secular society as well, can, can, it can be stirred up against it. That, um, so, 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 so yes, Matthew is a, a kind of Jewish gospel, but don't confuse that with, with the scribes and the Pharisees. And part of what I love about that is that he starts not with Adam, which is where Luke starts. And I'm going to leave Adam, the curate, to talk about Luke's gospel next week and make most of the comparisons, because I think there's too much in Matthew to, to, to do that. Um, but Luke begins with Adam, and, uh, but, but, but Jesus starts with Abraham, not simply because he's the father, right, of the peoples of the book, um, but, 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 but that Abraham is accorded righteousness by faith, right? And, um, you know, that God looks on Abraham's faith and, he, and he, he, he accords it to him as righteousness. He counts it as righteousness. And then we see in the story of Abraham, Abraham's promise is to have progeny and many, many children. right? And then Abraham, because he has such an intense gift of faith, is prepared to take his son and kill him, which would destroy the promise. And so 
right here at the beginning, right here in the second verse, we see, I think, a core story of Christian faith. That we're given faith, and it can be so powerful that we can turn around and be prepared to destroy the promise of faith by trying to turn to works righteousness, by trying to make our faith about, oh, I believe in God, and now I need to do all these different things and tell everybody, and it's all about do, 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 do. And, and God's ready to say, you want to be judged that way. I love you. I give you what you ask for. And that's not what we want. So the, the danger of, of the story of religion in its forms, the way that it, it, it is right here in Matthew's Gospel, the very thing that um, the Sadducees and the Pharisees uh, were, were, were on about, um, you know, and the scribes and the Pharisees, I mean to say, um, is, is challenged. Oh, I have so little time. Okay. Um, so then, uh, so, so, so I probably beat that dead. Um, so we have, we have Isaac, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Judah. And of course, Jacob is this terrible trickster, right? And uh, Jacob... Uh, is, um, well, he, he's, he's, he has this trouble where he, he sleeps with the wrong person, right? He, he tricked, he's tricked. And, he, and, and so uh, then he gives birth to Judah through something went awry in that department, right? And then we go on and we have Judah, right? and his brothers, and Judah, the father of Perez, and Zahar by Tamar. Now, what happened with Tamar? Do we remember this? This is, uh, this is found in Genesis 38, if you want to go there. And we don't really have time for, to, to, to delve into all these stories, but I'm going to plow on. But, but, so here in Genesis 38, it, I mean, mark this perhaps for, for a devotional this week, if you, if you, can, if you can bear going back. Um, uh, <laughs> if you have any energy after this. But... Uh, that, that, that what, what, what goes on, oh, I'm sorry, I sent you the, yes, I did send you the right place, that, um, that Tamar has denied what she's owed in her marriage. And, um, and, and, and so there's all sorts of deception that goes on here. And then, of course, Tamar um, is the daughter-in-law of Judah, and do you remember this part where she, she dresses up as a prostitute? And then it's really awkward because Judah, her father-in-law, you know, this is not a, if you thought this was family programming, it is not. This is like definitely past the watershed in the Advent Sunday School Hour. So, um, you know, and, and, and that's how he begets uh, Perez, right? And so... This is right here in this, he's, he's, and he's specifying this story. Again, that, um, and, and, and you don't even want to, I mean, if you really want to go into it, and I'm not going to get into it, how, uh, what happened to Tamar's first husband and why, uh, it's, also, it's, it's, it's also about um, some of his sexual practices, and, and, and God judges them. Um, and so uh, then, you know, th- there's a lot of violence here as well, but... What we see here is um, in this first section uh, a, a clear, and it's interesting that, and one of the things that I think this isn't by accident. It's it's and it, the way that Matthew tells it. Matthew could have told it without talking about the women here that he talks about, but he does, and it draws attention to certain aspects of the nature of 
um, of, what, of, 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 this, of this line. It's saying, you know, here is Judaism, not as some righteous, pharisaical, we're so proud of how we've always behaved so righteously. It's a story of here is, here is what this is. And, and because none of the genealogies in the, in, the, in, in the Old Testament mention women, which is kind of a relevant thing you'd think for a biological genealogy you'd want to know, but, but Matthew slips that in there. And I think it would be very obvious to the Jewish readers that, whoa, whoa, whoa why did he tell us about that? And, he's, and, and we see that. We have to start thinking about these stories. And so in this first story about Abraham to David, we see a story of, um, you know, so here's, uh, just moving on, Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab. Um, uh, Boaz, you know, uh, wakes up and, and he finds Ruth uh, sleeping at his feet. Um, and, and you see that something came of that because Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth, um, <laughs> And, and so we have this whole story of complicated, messy lineage. And what's, what I think is relevant here, and then, and then we're going to loop back to the genealogies, in the 18th verse, Matthew just goes right on and he says, right from this genealogy, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother had been married, been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with a child from the Holy Spirit. So the virgin birth just gets slammed in right into this story. Isn't it interesting that we hear a story all about fallen human sexuality, fallen human behavior in progeny? It's, it's like this is the anti-immaculate conception generation here, the doctrine of the immaculate conception. We know the virgin birth, right, is that Jesus was born um, you know, without, I mean, Joseph never knew her, um, to use the biblical language. And then the, the Roman Catholic later, particularly following Scotus, developed this doctrine that, well, Mary must have been sinless because otherwise Jesus would have been sinful. So, so her parents must have had an immaculate conception. So it's not, the immaculate conception is not about Joseph and Mary. It's about Jesus' biological grandparents. I think in a way, this passage here from Matthew tells us something about what to think about that. It says, Jesus is right there in the midst with us in that complicated part of our lives. So we, we see, and, and I'm not doing this, this, there's more here. Just, just dive in, but I, I'm going to keep moving on. So then we have the next 14. And of course, 14 is a, is a very important number in that there's seven. Seven is a number of completion for, um, you know, just throughout the Bible. And 14 is like that fullness of times two. It's extra complete. So we have this completion from Abraham to David. And it tells us something about fallen human nature. We have David, the peak, the pinnacle, if you will, of uh, you know, Jewish power. And, and, and another important thing, uh, there's beautiful language. If you look at the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, it's all about Moses. There's these parallels between Jesus and Moses and Jesus is the lawgiver and not one iota of the law and all the, of the love that God speaks to us through the law is all in there. Um, and so there's a clear pattern which Matthew's got in his gospel is trying to make us see Jesus is like Moses. He's taken us out He's taken us out of bondage. He's freed us. There's that parallel. But he doesn't talk about it here. He doesn't, and, 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 and just mark that because he talks about the Davidic covenant and he talks about the Abrahamic covenant and both of those are covenants that are everlasting covenants that are accorded by grace. God makes a promise and says, I give you faith and you have this and I'm going to do this for you. 
Abraham, I see your faith. I count it as righteousness. And you're going to, have, you're going to be fruitful. You're going to multiply like stars in the heavens. And he looks at David and he says, I'll be right there with you. And in Psalm, um, in, in, in Psalm 89, in the, in the third and fourth, fourth verse there, um, uh, we, we see that he says, this is, this is the psalmist says, You have said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David my covenant. I will establish your offspring forever and build your throne for all generations. What there isn't is do this. Now, Moses is clearly someone that Matthew is, is connecting with, um, uh, with, with Jesus, that he's like that. He is, and he does bring us out of bondage through what he does on the cross. But he doesn't put it here, because the covenant with Moses is where we get the Ten Commandments. It's a covenant about, you do this, and I will. But he doesn't talk about that here, because Jesus is about faith. The gift that we have here by adoption, it's about faith. It's not about do this, Jesus does this for you, your end of the covenant is blank. The covenant we find in Jesus Christ is a covenant of promise. And the, and the notable absence here of, um, of, of, of discussion of, of, of that is, I mean, it's, it's, it's noteworthy that we, that we miss that. And so then we go through from David to the deportation, right, to, to, to going into Babylon. Oh boy. And... I, I can't go through it all, but if you, I mean, if you, I talked about Moby Dick. A lot of these names you'll recognize. There's a Joram there. Uh, the, Moby Dick has, has a beautiful dialogue with First and Second Kings. Um, but what we see are violent, violent rulers. So if the first genealogy is about sex, the second genealogy is about violent worldly power. Um, you know, David uh, is the is the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. Now that's fascinating, right? Who is that? That's Bathsheba, who bathed beautifully, shall we say, <laughs> and 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 invited his his attention. Which isn't to put. I mean, uh, gosh, I'd get killed for saying that it was her fault. I'm not saying that. <laughs> um, but what's important here is that is that it, the language is forcing us to see that the wife of Uriah. That 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 here is Bathsheba. And, and she is violated. This, who, who, her, she's another man's wife. And of course, David betrays him and has him killed. So right here, we get to the pinnacle, right, of, of Davidic kingship. It's David. Here we are. There's a king. And bam, it's his sin. Right in our faces. And, it's, and, and, and actually, it's, it's like a beautiful transition from all that stuff that we had from, from Abraham to David because we still have that going on. But now we add the violence of power in there. And so, I mean, oh gosh, these guys are, are brutal that we, we, we hear about all the way up uh, in, 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 into, into Babylon. Um, you know, uh, uh, the, the, Ahab, right, is a famous name because he's very evil, right? And Ahab the king, and you have Jehu, and he comes. And you remember that brutal scene from um, where nothing but her hands and her feet are, are left of Jezebel and all that stuff? These are these guys. It's all about... These kings who are dishonest, and I, and I wish I could go into more detail, but I can't because I want to. I have to. I have to keep going. Um, so we have in in that in those fourteen, and, and explore this. Go and 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 make the you know look these look these folks up. Some of them you're not going to find anything about, but most of them you will. I mean, Manasseh. We pray that beautiful prayer of Manasseh. I have sinned. I have sinned. Well, Manasseh burns a lot of babies. We don't say that when we do it in the, in, the, in, the, in the passage, but when he says, I have sinned, I have sinned, and we use that in our liturgy, he knows what he's talking about. Like, immolating babies is what we've got going on here. So, so, so 
But, but another thing I want to, in the 14th verse here, the father of Zadok, Zadok the priest. So, there's a, so Zadok is a priest. That's important. We have the typology of Jesus as the prophet, priest, and king. Right now, Moses is the archetypal product, uh, prophet. Zadok uh, or Aaron, right, is the uh, you know Aaron is an archetypal priest. But we didn't talk about the uh, the Aaron's covenant or Moses's covenant because they weren't covenants of faith, right? But there's still he's still drawing in the fact that there are these elements of of, of that are in here. And then what's fascinating in there, in, in particularly in the third section after the Babylonian exile. If you look up all these names, we find them in Chronicles and nobody tells us anything about them. It's obscurity. And so the, the movement is from the, difficulty, uh, the difficulties of, of human lust, of, 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 of human relations in that way, to the difficulty of power and kingship and sin and how it is just, just all involved in that. And then we move on to... Um, to see uh, this obscurity. And that's where Jesus is born. He's born in obscurity in Bethlehem. Not in some Davidic court, but in a manger, in, in a cave, where, or, or in a barn, as the dean said. You know, e- either way, I mean, he's right there in the obscurity. And so, so all those obscure names, I think, are also relevant because it, it's Matthew telling Jewish people, particularly the scribes and the Pharisees, don't think Matthew's on their side, Right? He's saying to them, you think that, um, you know, you, th- you think you're all that, right? But look it, we were, in, we were in Babylon, we were in exile, and now we're back. And you know what? We're not the big shots we once were. We've got, and the Rome is on the scene. Well, who, how, can you, how can you keep going on about how powerful we are? It's pathetic. I mean, it's like, it's like being Belgian and really proud of the, of the Congo, that you had an empire. You don't have it anymore. And if you look at what you did there, it was brutal and genocidal and horrible. So what are you doing, guys? Uh, so if you think Pharisees, think Belgians. That's my, that's my bizarre, like, I don't know where these things come from, but it's in there. But so, so, so there we have this story. And we have a story about adoption. We have a story about covenants that are all about God's faithfulness and his grace and his promise, not on merit, but on faith. And we see something about the obscurity of where the Jewish people are. And in the midst of all that, in the midst of our lives that are filled with lust, that are filled with power and trouble like that, and also obscurity. I mean, we're, we, we may read like the, the, the weekly news magazines like Hello Magazine or what have you, all about um, whatever kind of, you know, gossip is going on, and it's usually about precisely those things, usually a little heavier on the lust than on the power, but if you prefer power, there are other publications that, that can get you all jazzed about that. Um, read The Economist, for example. But there you have it, and, and the obscurity, and that's our lives. The only thing that protects us from being in those publications is our obscurity, right? Because we're sinners just like these people. And Jesus comes into the midst of that, in that moment, and that's what he's born into with all the promise of covenants of promise, everlasting covenants given to us by God's grace. It's all here in this genealogy. So I I commend it to you. I can't possibly exhaust it. There's so much more, so many more connections here to make. But I just want to offer it today for us um, as something to not just blow by, but to appreciate and to savor what's, what's here in Holy Scripture for us. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that I get back to church in time.
I thank you for all these people. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your Holy Spirit, the way it opens your word to us. And I ask that your spirit would go forth um, with each and every person here today, that you would be, be with them, Holy Spirit, as they read their Bibles this week. Um, and I would ask that you would just draw us all closer to you. And I praise you and I thank you for what you've given so freely in Jesus Christ. Thank you for your everlasting covenant, the new covenant that Christ instituted with his own life. And I ask all these things in the power of your name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. I'm sorry there's no time for questions. I must go. (laughs)